Galatians 2, 15 and 16. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. You may be seated. As you see, let me pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this text. Uh, we thank you for this day, Lord, where we can celebrate 100 years of the end of World War I, uh, where we can remember those who have lost their lives and whose lives have been forever changed because of the atrocities of war from World War I onward. Uh, Father, we ask you that you would cause us to remember those and that we would be mindful of the freedoms that we enjoy And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't put our trust in those freedoms. I pray we would put our trust in you and you alone. I pray that we would be cognizant of the reality that you are the one who gives true peace. And that we thank you for the peace we enjoy now. But Lord, only you uh, give us what we need. We trust you. We pray all of this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. When I was 19 years old, uh, I was lost. And I knew it. It got to the point where that was really the only thing that I did know. I had ventured into this world as most 18 and 19 year olds do. I had ventured out into this world thinking that I had really figured some things out. Not that 18 and 19 year olds who are here, you're all wise and smart beyond your years, I'm sure. What I found, though, was that I didn't actually know everything, that I was actually in search of something, but I didn't even know what I was in search for. I, I didn't know what I was longing for. If, if life was a race, I felt like the runner who had been given the bib, you know, the bib that's on everybody's shirt as they run a 5K, 10K, half or full or whatever race you're doing, cross country or trail running, you have get this bib. I felt like I was given the bib, but I didn't even know where to start. I knew that there was a race of some kind. There was a course that I was to be on, but I actually didn't even know where the start line was. That's how I felt at 19 years old. I think it's a place that we all come to at different points in our lives. Some of you came to that point in your youth as you were discipled in the ways of Jesus, and so you were taught that there was a path for you. You were shown that there was a direction to live and that there was a God to live into and to believe in and to trust in and to pursue and to follow. And those of us maybe who came to faith as adults, it had to be a certain set of circumstances that jolted us into the reality that we didn't maybe know what we thought we knew. That maybe we had not yet realized that there was a path, but we were not even at the starting line. We don't know where we're supposed to go, and we don't even know how to get there. Have you been there? Have you been there? When you get there, what do you do? This lostness that I felt at the time, and that I know that we have all lived in, this lostness is a universal problem. And because it's a universal problem, since the very beginning of time, people have been trying to figure out a way to be made whole or to be fulfilled or to feel at peace or to be found, to find that path. So what we're really searching for, I think, is to be made right with God. And for Christians, we would call this being saved. It has less to do with what 
you can do and it has less to do with what you can do in a way that we are probably initially really unwilling to admit. It has less to do with what you can do and it has far more to do with what has already been done for you. When we feel that very human feeling of being lost and something is uneasy within us, something is warring within us, what can happen is it can kind of be like an open wound. And because we're not crazy, when we have an open wound, we want to tend to it. We want a healing balm that will help it to heal. We, we don't want to continue on with pain and suffering. We want to fix it. We want a solution to it. And and when we feel that very empty feeling of human lostness, that sense of emptiness, that void that needs to be filled, what happens is we come to the cliff edge of the canyon, of the chasm that's in front of us. And we can even get to the place where we come to that cliff edge and we can see into the chasm, but we don't know what's on the other side. We just know that it feels like we're supposed to be over there. So we start asking, how do I get there? How do I bridge the chasm between where I am and where I think I should be? How do I find the path that makes me whole? How do I fill the void? How do I find the peace? How do I find the starting line that will put me on the right course of life? How do I measure up? Do I measure up? In these verses that you've just had read from the second chapter of Paul's letter to the Galatians, I believe we have found an answer. And in this text, we see part of the default human response to the universal human problem of lostness. And then we see the true answer. We see part of how we respond in a standard way, and then we see what the scriptures reveal is the true answer. We see in this text that we are saved by faith in the faithfulness of Jesus. We see in this text that we are saved by faith in the faithfulness of Jesus. And this comes through something called justification. And you go, oh boy, big theological term Sunday, wonderful. Brett's going to talk about things he's learned. Yes, I am. Here's the thing. If you're not Japanese and you've learned how to order sushi in Vancouver, you can learn theological words in church. Okay? Okay, like one preacher said, he said, if you can learn to order a latte at Starbucks, you can learn theological words in church. It's a whole vocabulary you didn't even know you needed in life. We've got two verses, verses 15 and 16, and because you know me, you know that those two verses will not hinder me from preaching a full length of what I have allowed today. So, two verses, verses 15 and 16, we're going to look at. Here's how we're going to look at them. Three points. Justification defined, justification failed, and justification accomplished. Justification defined and failed and accomplished. Let me read you what somebody way smarter than me has said. Alistair McGrath said the Christian doctrine of justification constitutes the real center of the theological system of the Christian church. There never was and there never can be any true Christian church without the doctrine of justification for the community of faith cannot exist without proclaiming in word and sacrament the truth of what God has done for man in Christ. It is this truth which called the church into being, and it is this truth which must be expressed in her life and doctrine. The wonderful Martin Luther said, 
in writing about the doctrine of justification, he said, this is the truth of the gospel. It is also the principal article of all Christian doctrine, wherein the knowledge of all godliness consisteth. I know that we could have translated his German into modern English, but I like this. I like saying consisteth. Most necessary it is, therefore, that we should know this article well, teach it unto others, and beat it into our heads continually. Me and Martin Luther would have got along real well. This is what we're going to do in the, in the rest of this letter of Galatians. We're going to talk about this all the way through it from many different angles. And today is but the beginning. It's the first time that it's mentioned in the letter to the Galatians here in chapter 2, verse 16. But we're going to talk about justification a lot over the weeks to come. Uh, we're going to talk about it for the next couple of weeks. Then we've got a series uh, looking at the beginning of Matthew's gospel for the season of Advent that leads us up to Christmas. And then in the new year, we're going to go back into Galatians. And we're just going to keep trying to beat this into our heads that we might believe it and live it out. So that's where we're going. It's the doctrine of justification by faith in the faithfulness of Jesus. If, if this doctrine is enough to fill the empty void in our lives, and I'm going to argue that it is. If it's enough to heal the wounds in our soul, and I'm going to argue that it is. If it's enough to chase away the lostness that we feel, and I believe that it is. And if it's enough to give us a sense of truly finding our home in God, I, I believe that it is. We need to talk about what it means. And so here's justification defined, very simply. The word makes its first appearance here, verse 16. It's used three times. The verb justified is used three times. Verse 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law will no one be justified. Justification by faith leads us into the relational, transformational union with Christ that we enjoy, that followers of Jesus enjoy. We are relationally united in him. So if you're not satisfied by the definition that I give today, just understand that we're going to be looking at this for weeks to come, and it'll sort of mushroom and get bigger and bigger and more glorious as we define it over the next few weeks. But today's beginning point, what I want us to look at, is that the word justification is a legal term. It's a term that's borrowed from the law courts. Justified is the exact opposite of condemned. So to be justified is the exact opposite of being condemned or to be found guilty. Dr. J.I. Packer said, God's justifying decision is the judgment of the last day declaring well where we shall spend eternity, brought forward into the present and pronounced here and now. It is the last judgment that will ever be passed on our destiny. God will never go back on it, however much Satan may appeal against God's verdict. Oh, that is sweet. If you, like me, struggle with believing this and living out from this place and sort of living your life from a place of knowing that you've gained a right standing with God that the final decision of your judgment has already been declared in Christ and that you can receive that by faith. What you might do well to take verses 15 and 16 and put them on your mirror and then take this quote and put it right below. Justification by faith is when God, who is the righteous and just judge, It is when he freely and graciously declares that our sin is pardoned and that we can be seen, that we are righteous in his sight. 
That is through faith in Jesus Christ. It's actually interesting to note that justify or justified and righteous actually come from the same word, and we'll talk about that in the weeks to come. Justification by faith is God's verdict or his judicial declaration. Justification forever changes our status or our standing before God from being guilty and condemned to being forgiven and righteous. It brings us into union with Christ. And that union with Christ is a transformative relationship. Justification by faith. It's not isolated from God's wider, more comprehensive work in our lives, but it is a distinctive and necessary piece of the entire redemptive picture of how God saves us in Christ. And so we need to see it. Justification by faith, if you could say it this way, is the entry point into union with Christ. Without justification by faith, there is no union with Christ. There's no relationship with God. But justification by faith will always lead to union with Christ. It is when we put our our trust into the faithfulness of Jesus, into what he has already accomplished, and it draws us into a relationship with Christ. Paul's point here in the text is that the only way to have a right standing with God, the only way to have a relationship with God, the only way to have your will realigned, to be in line with the will of God, that you might walk according to what he has called you to do, that you might walk obediently before him, the only way to do that is to trust in the faithfulness of Christ, who was faithful on your behalf, who when we weren't faithful, he was. And we can trust in what he has done. And we can trust that that brings us into a relationship with him where our lives are just transformed and being transformed and will be transformed. The point is that there is no other way but by trusting in the faithfulness of Christ. His point is that there are 10,000 ways that you can try and gain or earn a relationship with God where we can have our sin pardoned and our record cleared and we will fail every single one of those 10,000 ways that there is only one way to be justified. It is by faith in the faithfulness of Jesus. Okay, that's my very quick attempt at at trying to see justification defined. Let's look at another aspect of verse 16. Let's talk about justification failed. Justification failed. Verse 16, let's read it again. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law... No one will be justified. Okay, hear me. Every effort that we would ever make to justify ourselves is destined to fail. Self-justification is a universal human problem. Because the universal human condition is to feel disconnected from God. There's something in us that says, I need to search, and I need to seek, and I need to find. The problem is, is we default to trying to do something to close that gap, to bridge that chasm. Our self-justifying efforts, though, will fail 10,000 times out of 10,000. 
We know, it says, that a person is not justified by works of the law. So self-justification is the default response to the universal problem of realizing you're lost. Now, think about it like this. Many of the religious Jews in the ancient world, and we're, we're talking about some of this here, they relied on their obedience to the law of Moses in order to make themselves right before God. They sought to live right before God. That is not a bad inclination of your heart. If God reveals truth to you and you seek to obey that, that, that's not a bad motive. That's not a bad inclination. The problem is is that they tried to really weight the balance of those works on their obedience rather than on God. Let me show you what Paul says in Romans 10. He says this to his beloved people. He says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. He's talking about his family, his people. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Look at what it says. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Here, Paul prays for the salvation of his fellow Jews because they refuse to submit to the righteousness of God that comes through faith in Jesus. Instead, they're seeking to establish their own righteousness. Do you see this? You say, what what does this have to do with me? I'm not ethnically Jewish. I've never studied the Torah. I'm not worried about the laws of Moses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But look at what they were trying to do. They were trying to establish a righteousness of their own apart from Christ. That's exactly what we do. It doesn't matter if you were brought up in the sticks of Alberta like I was. There is something in you that says, I need to earn a right standing before God. I need to establish a righteousness of my own before him that he might accept me. This is the self-justification project. And the problem is here that no one except for Jesus Christ alone has ever been able to completely obey God's law. Look at what it says at the end of verse 16 in our text. It says, by the works of the law, no one, literally no flesh, no one will be justified. Paul expands this exact same point in his letter to the Romans in chapter 3, verse 20. He says, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. So any attempt to self-justify by keeping the law its dead end leads to condemnation. Its justification failed. I think Jesus makes this pretty clear in a parable. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14, he says something. He says, uh, Luke writes, He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Verse 10, Jesus said, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee. Now, you've got to know, Pharisees were people who were serious about the laws of God. They were serious about their obedience. They wanted to serve God, but they became meticulous about their keeping of the law. And it says the other was a tax collector. Now, you need to know that tax collectors were really looked down upon because they were in league with the Roman government. So you could substitute tax collector for a notorious sinner, Okay. Super religious guy, notorious sinner. This is what it says. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Fast twice a week, 
Give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Can you imagine coming to a prayer meeting here? Right? We typically do a couple of big ones a year. We put all the chairs in a circle. You know, and we're in a circle, and somebody says, I'd like to pray uh, in front of everyone. You say, sure, what do you got? Well, here's what I want to pray. I want to thank God that I'm not like other men. I'd like to thank God that I fast twice a week. I'd also like to thank God that I tithe off everything I get. Somebody gives me a whole pizza at work, 10% somebody else. And I'd really especially like to thank God I'm not like that guy. Well, how would we respond to that? Like, get out of here. Repent. Right? But what does the parable say? He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Self-justification's not working for you. You got the standard all mixed up. See, thinking you can justify yourself is a scary overflow of the pride in your heart. Pride refuses to see the true nature of sin, and it refuses to see the true need for God's grace. And comparing and contrasting your righteousness with somebody else, other than the example of the perfect obedience of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, it's not going to get you anywhere. This is religious self-justification. It's justification failed. And we've already talked about this lots in Galatians, but unlike the Jews that I was just talking about, there was another group of Jewish people who had become Christians. We've talked about this all through Galatians so far. There were Jewish Christians, and they believed that you needed Jesus to be saved, but they believed that it was Jesus plus doing works of the law. Look at the text again. Yet we know that a person's not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul's trying to correct them here. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Right? When Paul says works of the law, there, there's a guy who's written more on this than any other human being I, don't, I think has ever written on it. And this is how he summarizes works of the law. He's just talking about doing what the law requires. So when he says works of the law won't save you, he's just doing what the law requires, that's not going to save you. See, this is Jesus plus doing works of the law. And I think Jesus plus doing works of the law is just a sneaky, kind of clever way to slide self-justification in there because, man, we want to earn something, right? Like, I kind of want, want my righteousness to be established like 95% by Jesus, but 5% of it would feel good if I could earn that. I'd feel better about me if I knew I was earning some of my right standing before God. But the fact of the matter is I'm not. And that's hard for us sometimes. Religious self-justification. The problem with adding anything to Jesus, we've talked about this, Jesus plus anything equals nothing. When we talk about adding to Jesus for our salvation, think about it like this. If I got the Mona Lisa out of the Louvre, and I brought it here on a Sunday, and I took it down into the toddler room, 
right? And I put it on a little easel, really low, because they're all short. And I gave him a few sets of finger paints. And I was like, look, just improve this. That's like adding anything to the work of Jesus. I'm going to take some fingerprints, and I'm just going to smear it on the Mona Lisa. A bunch of grubby little hands down there trying to improve the Mona Lisa. Number one, it's not going to improve the Mona Lisa. Number two, it will destroy the original thing. That's what happens when you try to add your righteousness to Christ for your salvation. Demanding works of the law as additions to faith is like bringing forward that which Christ has already put to an end. These are two religious examples of self-justification. What about you who showed up here today and you're not a follower of Jesus. You're like, I care not for the laws of Moses, and I'm not particularly interested in finding my sense of fulfillment and the satisfaction of my longing in a relationship with a guy named Jesus who I can't quite understand. I was where you are. Welcome. We're thankful you come. You feel the same longings that we all feel. You've got the same existential angst that every human has here's the thing. You might respond by just saying, I just do my best to be a good person. That's a response I hear all the time. I talk with my family. I talk with my friends. I just, just want to be a good person. You say, how oh, do you need Jesus to be saved? You go, I had a Seems like Christianity is just about being a good person. And I'm a pretty good person. Somehow in the conversation, it always gets tossed out. Well, I'm not Hitler. I don't know where Hitler became the standard of measurement. <laughs> Right? I'm not Hitler. Good. <laughs> Thank you. The difference is that there is a bar of a line that we would want to draw on our own apart from God that would say you need to be this good to be saved. No, if it's this good or this good. But the difference is, is that in your life, you're the one who gets to set the height of that bar. So it's somewhere above Hitler, somewhere below, you know, Mother Teresa. Somewhere in the middle. And you think there's a bar. Typically when we define the bar, we're always just a little bit over it. Or just a little bit under it. Close enough that we can maybe earn our, our, our keep and, and do better and get there. Right? Do better, try harder, be good. Or we're just above it. And we're like, well, I'm fine. I don't have to change a whole lot. How's that working for you? Francis Schaeffer wrote a book called The Church at the End of the 20th Century. And uh, in that book, he talks about being born with an invisible tape recorder. I want to read you what he says. He says, imagine that each baby is born into the world with an invisible tape recorder hung around his neck. Imagine further that these very special recorders that only record, that these are very special recorders that only record when moral judgments are made. Aesthetic judgments such as this is beautiful, they're not recorded. But whenever a person makes statements such as she's such a gossip, he's so lazy. When those statements are made, the recorder turns on, it records the statement, and then it turns off. Many times each day the recorder does this, as the person makes moral judgments about those around him, recording dozens of judgments each week, hundreds each year, and thousands in a lifetime. Then the scene shifts. And we suddenly see all the people of the world standing before God at the end of time. God, it is not fair for you to judge me. 
I didn't know about Christ. No one taught me the Ten Commandments. I never read the Sermon on the Mount. And then God speaks and he says to the person who's complaining, very well, since you claim not to know my laws, I will set aside my perfect standard of righteousness. Instead, I will judge you on this. And he pushes the button on the tape recorder person listens with growing horror as his own voice pours forth a stream of condemnation toward those around him. She shouldn't be doing this. He was wrong in that. Thousands upon thousands of moral judgments. And when the tape ends, God says, this will be the basis of my judgment. How well have you kept the moral standards that you proved you understood by constantly applying them to those around you? Here you accused someone of lying. Yet have you ever stretched the truth? You were angry at that fellow for being selfish, yet have you ever put your own interests above someone else's needs? And every person will be silent, for no one has consistently lived up to the standards he demands from others. We can try and set the bar and self-justify, or we can be justified by faith in the faithfulness of Jesus. period. See, apart from the unique contribution of Christianity, every other world religion is based on somehow climbing to God or moving through levels of enlightenment or ascending through some sort of transcendent understanding. Somehow climbing to God, somehow finding his favor, earning his favor, somehow doing enough to be either good enough and higher than the bar or to ascend to him. The difference in Christianity is that we can be honest about the futility of do-gooding ourselves up the ladder to God. See, in Christianity, we don't seek to ascend to God on the basis of our earning. No, we serve a God who came to accomplish what we could never do. Justification defined, justification failed, and justification accomplished. Look at the text again. For we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Now here's something that I think is important for us to understand as we look at this text. In verse 14, which you heard a couple weeks ago, it says, When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, and he begins a conversation with Peter, or Cephas. If you, though a Jew, live like a Jew and not like a Jew, he goes on. The point is, verse 14 is in quotation marks. This is a conversation happening between Peter and Paul. Paul is speaking to him. In the translation that we use, the one that you either grabbed at the back or the one that you might have on your phone or the one that you've been hearing read, verses 15 down through 21 don't have quotation marks around it. It ends the conversation. There's lots of really good translations, though, that actually keep that conversation going. It's in quotation marks. It's as though the conversation continues between Paul and Peter. That what is written in verses 15 down through 21 is actually Paul speaking to Peter. And that's what I think is actually going on in this text. I agree with those other translations. 
That means verse 15 is still a conversation with Peter, meaning we need to take what we heard over the last couple of weeks, and we need to draw that into this text as well. So when Paul says in verse 15, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, here's what he's saying. Hey, Peter, you and I, we've always been part of God's family. Then he says at the beginning of verse 16, yet, Peter... You and I both know that we're not saved by works of the law. We're saved by the finished work of Christ, putting our faith and trust in the finished work of Christ. We're not justified by Jesus plus works of the law, my friend Peter. We're justified by the finished work of the perfect obedience of Jesus as he walked out the path the Father laid before him and he died upon the cross to atone for our sin and he rose from the grave triumphant over all things. That's what saves us. My friend Peter. See, it changes when you know who he's talking to. Paul's saying that we are saved by faith in the faithfulness of Jesus. Now, here's something that I don't think I've done over the last five years of preaching here. I don't like to jump in and out of different translations because I don't want to ever give you the impression that the one we're using is not accurate enough for us to read. I don't want to do that. I don't want to diminish our understanding that we can read God's word right here in the ESV. So I don't think I've done that. Um, but I want to read Galatians 2, 15 and 16 out of a translation that I use when I'm studying Greek sometimes. This is what it says in the New English translation. I think it's helpful because the ESV tends to be a bit wooden and a bit wordy, especially in verse 16. So let's read this in the NET. Let me show you what I think. Verse 15 says, We're Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that no one is justified by the works of the law, but by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. See, it's worded a bit differently. And we have come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by the faithfulness of Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So our justification, it's not accomplished by having faith in our faith. It's not accomplished in Jesus plus doing works of the law. Our justification, and it makes it very clear here in the NET, is accomplished by faith in the faithfulness of Jesus, in the finished work of Christ. Look at the second half of verse 16 again. We've come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified. Did you see? We have come to believe in Christ Jesus. There's still an active element of your faith, your trust in Christ. But what is your trust in? Well, it's not in faith. Your trust is in the finished work and the faithfulness of Jesus, so that we may be justified by the faithfulness of Christ, not by works of the law. So Paul's saying, hey, Peter, Yes, we used to trust in our flesh and we used to trust in our works and we used to trust in our birthright as Jews that we are children of our father Abraham and we used to trust that we are God's chosen people. But even we have come, yet we have come, even us, we have realized, you and me, Peter, that we're not saved by that, but that we're justified by faith in the faithfulness of Jesus. See, Peter and Paul came to realize that salvation was bigger than one particular family of people on this planet. They came to realize that salvation was for all people. So they're saying, us especially, who were raised in the tradition and told that this faith is ours, even us. Oh, Peter, you know, it's much bigger than just us. We're not saved by works of the law. We're saved by Jesus. Let me show you what I mean. He said, Paul, he writes a letter to another church. 
And he's talking about the same things. He's talking about the same opponents that he's been facing here in Galatia, the people who are trying to add to the work of Christ. This is what it says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 2 through 6. He says, look out for the dogs. You know it's not going to go well when it starts out like that, right? Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Just stop there. What he's talking about is the same quote-unquote circumcision party who are coming in saying, hey, Jesus saves, but you also need to get circumcised. He calls them mutilators. For, verse 3 says, For we are the circumcision, which what he means is the faithful people of God, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. But verse 4 says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, because he was brought up as a Jew, right? If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, like I told you, the serious of the serious, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, meaning the real people persecuted the church. The real Jews were actively working against it. As to righteousness under the law, he says he was blameless. He gives you a spiritual resume. If he showed up at a new synagogue, he would have rolled that out. Hi, my name is Paul. Circumcised on the eighth day. I doubt you start conversations like that. (laughs) He says, I've got all the reason in the world to have confidence in who I was born to be. But then something happens and he meets Jesus and his whole life gets turned upside down and he realizes that all that confidence he had in the flesh is nothing. That's what it says in verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. That's actually accounting language for you Excel spreadsheet nerds. That is like an income and expense. He says, everything I thought I gained, all the profit I thought I had, was actually loss. He moves it to a different column. Verse 8 says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a, look at this, righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. It's the same argument being made to a different group of people in a different city. This is what self-justification looks like. Jake, why don't you come on up here and help me out? Jake Scott, welcome, welcome Jake, everybody. I want to show you what this looks like in a visual way. If you are so happy with all of your accolades and you say, oh boy, here I am, circumcised on the eighth day. Hold on to that. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. Here's all of your wonderful things that you can put your trust in. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. He says somewhere in there, and I'm out of order, but he says, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Look at that one. That's a good one. what he says circumcised on the eighth day of the people of israel of the tribe of benjamin a hebrew of hebrews as to the law of pharisee as to zeal a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law blameless that's a lot of accolades 
And he walked around confident of that which he had already accomplished. Taking hold of who he was born to be. Here's the point. When I come along and I say to you, with your arms full of all of your accomplishments and your accolades and your comforts and your successes, come and take hold of Christ. (laughs) You can't. When your arms are so full of all that you've done that you can't take hold of Christ by faith. See, the only way you take hold of Christ is the empty hands of faith. You're adding nothing to your righteousness but what Christ has accomplished for you. You were born in the church? Wonderful. You were raised in the faith? Fantastic. You've memorized scripture since you were born? That's amazing. You're not Hitler? Thank you. (laughs) All of your comforts and your wealth and all of the accomplishments and successes in your life, if you're holding on to those as though those earn you a standing before God, it is impossible to take hold of Jesus with the empty hands of faith. Thank you, Jake. A round of applause for Jake. I knew there's a reason I keep these reference books around. See, Paul had to lose his religion before he could find eternal life. What do you have to lose so that you can gain Christ? We're not justified by our accomplishments. That is justification failed. You cannot receive what you need by faith when you think you possess all you need by works. Deep down inside of us, we want to earn our own right standing before God. We want to receive a status before God as forgiven and clean and whole. But we want to contribute to that. But in the kingdom of God, that is not how grace works. And we are saved by grace. Through faith. In the faithfulness of Jesus. Would you stand with me as we respond today?